This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Larissa. And Larissa was in a toxic relationship with an entitled narcissistic abuser. It's a story of addiction, isolation, intimidation, sexual coercion, and self-defense. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Larissa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, and I forgot to introduce myself to the people that have never heard the show before. I am Brandon Chadwick, and if you want to be a guest on our show like Larissa is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there is a button that says guest form you click on that button takes you to our guest form page and there's all these instructions please read the instructions and send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out our guest form form and press the submit button and everyone i just want to tell you to stay until the end and even after the end is over we have an update of someone's story an update of quinn if you remember quinn uh, who was on our show, I think, earlier or midsummer last year, sometime around then. I'll leave the link in our show notes. You'll get an update of what's gone on in her life since she's been on the show. And with Larissa's story today, I just want to give some trigger warnings because today we talk about sexual abuse, there's sexual coercion, and we also briefly discuss some uh, physical abuse, physical intimidation. So uh, trigger warnings for all of that. And now with all of that out of the way, Larissa, the floor is now yours. All right. Thank you again. So thank you for having me here. And I do like to share my story because I think it's really important for people to share just because you never know who's going through it as well and how sharing your story can really help them. Uh, So I actually survived childhood sexual abuse. Um, That's kind of where all the trauma started. Um, And because of that, I was actually always taught to keep it a secret. So that led to a lot of really bad things for my future when I became an adult, not even just adult, but, you know, it led to a lot of toxic relationships, toxic friendships, a lot of people who used to take my kindness for weakness and, you know, just kind of step all over me. And I just never was taught 
boundaries also. So I never knew how to say no or, hey, I don't like that or don't say that to me or don't, you know, so it led to issues as becoming an adult. So then I got into my first romantic relationship. I was a sophomore in high school, so I was like 15. And that one actually went really well. He was a great guy. Uh, We never really had that many problems. But then I moved to Chicago when I was 19 years old. And that's kind of when I went a little crazy. So I grew up in the suburbs. And then when I moved to the city, it was like, whoa, completely different worlds. Uh, I wasn't used to the type of people out here. Just the lifestyle, everything was so different. And um, then I met my kid's dad. So so, so before we get to your kid's dad, um, when you were growing up, you had uh, one abusive parent that's a sexually abusive parent. And yes, the other parent were, uh, did you trust them in any sort of way? And did you have any sort of relationship with them that was positive in any way? So I did feel like, so sexual abuse is my dad. Um, I did feel like my mom was a safe person actually until that happened because she stayed with him for many years after knowing that what happened to me. So she wasn't really a safe person to me anymore. Um, But actually, I'm actually in therapy with her right now. We started about almost three months ago. Turns out he was raping and sexually assaulting her all the time as well. So I had a lot of anger and resentment towards her. But little did I know she was actually being abused too. And I always held her more responsible for my abuse than even him. Like I had a lot of issues with her and now that I'm in therapy with her I'm actually understanding that like it wasn't just all bad decisions it was a lot of narcissism and and you know excuse my language but mind fucking her and then you know doing stuff physical stuff to her as well so like how can she had have helped us when she was going through it herself you know so and as a young child uh, you obviously here have like a cognitive dissonance when it comes to is this person a safe person and then they're not being a safe person? And, and like, when did you start to, I guess, dive into therapy or, or anything like that to kind of understand like what your feelings were before, before you got into any relationship or that, that happened after? Oh, wait, wait after I, this is very, is it's more new. So, I say within the last two years, I did. I've been doing some really like deep healing and deep work on myself, which is what led me to eventually forgive both of my parents, forgive my dad for the sexual abuse, and forgive my mom for not protecting me. Which then led into like me being a little bit more empathetic to both of them and saying like, well, what happened to them that led them both here as well? And then, um, yeah, that's how it, and then I just realized I, I already made the decision that I don't have a relationship with my dad. I don't have any desire for it. I, I'm good, you know, like I'm at peace with that decision, but with my mom, there was something there. I always wanted that love or that whatever relationship with her that I never had. So that's why I asked her to go to therapy with me. And surprisingly, she was very open to it and she's been, She's not a, a person that's gone to therapy before, so this is the first time ever doing it. So it was really weird for her at first and hard for her, especially it's a cultural thing as well. We we don't go to therapy. <laughs> that's for crazy people. So so, But it, it has been nice to see her open up and see that it's not just for crazy people and that it helps, you know? Well, that's scary 
it's scary for you. Um, it was terrifying. Terrifying because <laughs> you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. You don't know if it's going to re-traumatize you or if it's going to uh, be insulting or disrespectful in a lot of ways because you have your memories of things and they might not have the same memory of those things. And that's that can be extremely hurtful. You're like, where were yes. you? You know? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> yes, the first few sessions I was like, were you even there? Because <laughs> your version's completely it, different. It, it's mine. amazing uh, like that. And, you know, it's scary for you. And, you know, for an adult of uh, your mom's age, I assume she's in her 60s at least. Almost okay, there, almost yeah. there. Um, who's never gone to therapy, who goes for the first time. I mean, that step alone to now walk into, okay, I have to come in here and take responsibility of some sort uh, at this age. Um, you know, kudos to you for doing it. And also kudos to your mom for, for you know, after all of these years to finally come in there and, and heal this. I mean, the rarity of what has just happened with both of you, I mean, less than a percent, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I yeah, mean, I think I that totally might be agree. generous right there that people will do that yeah. at this age. So it's pretty amazing. Um, so before we even, again, I'm going to say this, before we even get to your relationship, who are you as like a person before that age of 19 when you meet your first um, abuser, let's say, and like like what are you doing? What are your beliefs in life? Where do you want your life to go? Is that even a thing on your mind? Are you living day by day just trying to survive? And I guess what are your beliefs about relationships, beliefs about friends, beliefs about people, beliefs about the world? Well, I was young, so I was extremely naive, you know, 18, 19. I thought I knew it all and, you know, come to find out I didn't know anything. Uh, so I kind of was just a day-by-day, like, person. You know, I didn't really – I did think about the future. I did want to go to college. I didn't know why or what I was going towards, but I did move to the city specifically to go to college. And, um, yeah, I just – how did I feel about relationships? Um, I don't know. I felt like I just had it all together as far as relationships. I thought I like had the best friendships and the best, you know, boyfriend, you know, before I moved to the city. And uh, I don't know. I just, I think I felt like my life was like perfect back then. <laughs> Were you thinking in any way like that I have a certain specific void in me that needs to be filled and was looking for someone to fill that or. Yeah. Okay. So, so what was that void? Was that a void of love? I was. Yes, I was definitely also codependent um, on friendships and romantic relationships, for sure. And I think it's because I was looking for the love that I never got from both of my parents. Like, my parents were not affectionate or told us they loved us or hugged us or any. There was, that just wasn't a thing. So I think I was always seeking that in other relationships and something I kind of came to terms with, a, like, last two years as well that that's something that I've had and working through that (laughs) 
And as far as your beliefs as like, did you believe relationships take work? Do you believe like once you get married, you're married for life? Did you, are you someone that looks at someone and says like, oh, I can see the potential in them. I can help them change Mm -hmm. in things along those lines. Like that's me. I was the fixer. Oh, I see the potential. Like he's not there yet, but I can help him get there. And it was so stupid. (laughs) Now now looking back and it's funny because me and my sisters have talked about that too. And we all chose guys that we were trying to fix and we saw the potential and then we're like F potential. Like, you got to have it. You can't just go off potential. But, you know, when you're young, you don't think that far ahead. (laughs) And as far as uh, how many siblings you have, what number in the order would you be? I am the middle. Okay. So I have three siblings. Yeah. Okay. So and that brings its own set of circumstances as well. Oh, yeah. Um, All right. So one last question. Because I have no uh, concept of what era you grew up in. What was your favorite band at the time? Oh, God. When I was 18, 19, band. Well, I'm a rap type of girl. (laughs) Um, So I think back then, like, my favorite rappers were, like, Jay-Z and Ja Rule because they were really popular (laughs) back then. Bands. I didn't really listen to like alternative or rock music, really. So or, I can't. Really yeah, say. musicians in general. All right, Jay Z, Ja Rule. <laughs> I know the. I now yep. know the era. <laughs> yep. So uh, you moved to Chicago, and you eventually uh, get into a relationship with someone. And this isn't the the main relationship we're going to be talking about. So you get into a relationship with someone. So explain to us uh, this relationship and. Uh, what happened with in it? So yes, this was actually my child's father. Um, so moved here, met him at a house party, <laughs> and very charming. He wasn't my type even. That's the funny part about it. He was not even my type. It's not a guy I would normally go for, especially like physically. But he then, I think it was the first guy that stalked me. So he kept calling me and calling me and I was like oh my god he's so annoying at first but then you know when he would stop calling I'd be like where did he go uh so that was kind of my first red flag that again I I didn't pay attention to and then also he at the party he asked me how old I was no I asked him how old are you and he asked me how old are you that should have been hello and then I told him at the time I was 19 so he's like oh I'm 19 too a couple months later I actually found out he lied he was a year younger than me but I didn't date guys younger than me so, like, I would have never even dated him if I would have known that. So that was my other red flag. He lied right away, right off the bat. First day I met him was a lie. Um, but, of course, I didn't know that till a little bit after. So, anyway, very charming. I think the other thing with him was that the sex was very good. I had never had anybody put it on me like that. And I think that was something that was, like, that kept me in this, like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, bind or under his spell, I guess, if you will, because I've never had that. So when he, like, you know, it felt so good, and it felt like, for me, too, another thing was, like, because of my sexual abuse, like, I was over-sexual or, or um, yeah, hypersexual. there you go, and um, sex was really, really important to me. So, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, 
this is the one because it's so great, you know, and I just got lost in all that like superficial stuff. And, um, he was also in a gang. Uh, <laughs> he also sold drugs. He was a street guy. I was so into that stuff back then. I thought it was so cool. And again, because I was raising the burbs, didn't live that type of lifestyle. Then I come to the city and I'm meeting all these guys like this. And it was so intriguing to me, the bad boy thing. I just thought it was so hot and so fun and so exciting. And obviously that led me nowhere in my life. It, <laughs> it was exciting, but it literally me with the child by myself and with, you know, um, he was very nice to me until he found out that I was done. Once I was done with the relationship, like he then turned into basically, it was like Dr. What is it? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or whatever. Like it was just complete polar opposite. I was like, who is this person? I don't even know who this person is. Um, so yeah, so he actually left as well. So once I got pregnant, I told him I was pregnant and then he left, he took off to Puerto Rico. So then I was by myself pregnant and then he finally decided to come back when my daughter was like two months old, like nothing. It just was like nothing. I took him back right away. Cause I was like in my head and I'm like, Oh, I have to be with him. He's the father of my kid. I have to at least give it a chance. And he was good for about a month or two. And then he back to his old ways of, you know, he's a womanizer. It's like, he always had women and always, I don't even know how many times he cheated on me, but at the time I didn't think he did it at all. But then, you know, now looking back, like I'm sure he did it 24-7 um, whenever he can get away with it. So fast forward, when we got back together, we moved in together. Um, and then about three weeks after that, I called him one morning. He didn't answer and something told me, listen to the voicemails. And I never used to do that because I just didn't. I'm not that type of person. Um, but something my gut said, listen to it. And so I did. And there it was, it was a girl. She's like, Hey baby, or whatever she said. And I was like, Oh hell no. I was at work. I called him. I was like, get out of my house. You have 15 minutes to get out. Otherwise I'm calling the cops on you. Long story short, there was just a lot of drama after that. Cause I just didn't want to be with the guy, you know, he had already put me through so much. And then now you're still cheating and doing your thing. And like, why am I even bothering? You know? So yeah. And then just the disrespect, the name calling uh the um what is it called the um smear campaigns he was talking crap about me to everybody and making trying to make me look bad in front of his family and calling me a whore even though he was the one sleeping around everywhere but like I was always the 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 jerk and the bad guy and he always used to call me like bougie like you're bougie think you're better than everybody and I think now looking back that's deflection because he knew like you know I was trying to do something with myself and he didn't have a plan, didn't care about his future. So there was a lot of, I think, jealousy with him and I too, not with me for him, but I think he saw me moving up in life and he was still in the same place. So he always used to try to make me feel like stupid or bad about. And within that, did you have like uh, custody issues or, or things with uh, you, no. nothing at all? He, he was just gone. No, he just, yep. He was like, I, I, so I found out, he got into a fight with his girlfriend in front of my daughter. My daughter was only three or four at the time. And I casually picked her up from his house, casually asked, hey, how's dad's house? And little munchkin voice tells me, oh, he was fighting with his girlfriend. And the cops came and then he started choking her. And I was so livid because I was trying so hard for her not to see that type of stuff. You know, like, yeah, I like the bad boys. But then once I had her. It made me be like, I don't want that, you know, her around that type of stuff. So then 
her being around this person that's always making bad decisions in front of her was just a huge red flag for me. And I was just like, I can't have her be around you anymore. I don't trust you. And then his mom too was, she's a big um, enabler. So she always used to defend him no matter what and be like, oh, you're the one. It's you. You're confused. You don't understand it, you know? And, oh, she's so little. She doesn't even know what she's talking about. I'm like, kids don't make things like that up. My kid does not know what any of that stuff means or what it is. She's There's no way she just picked that up from TV or something and then said, hey, it was dad, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I decided, I told him, you're not allowed to see her anymore. And he never, ever fought it. He's like, okay. And that was it. We never heard from the guy again. Uh, still to this day, he's still hasn't contacted my daughter she's 15 now and she's pretty much doesn't really care anymore she for a long time she did and she had like these issues where why doesn't he love me but now she's like whatever you know he hasn't been around he's not really he's my dad but he's not my dad you know it's sad um people have to love you and respect you and treat you well you know all the things that I didn't have the knowledge of back then I've been teaching her so I knew that it would have been undone if she kept seeing her dad. And I think it's still a good decision. It was a hard decision because I always wanted him to be involved in her life, but I knew at the end of the day, he wasn't uh, just that right person to teach her the things that I wanted her to be taught. So at this point, how old are you when he's out of the picture? Um, about 21, 22 years okay, old. Okay, so you're 21, yeah. 22. You have your child with you. And what's amazing here a little bit is at this age, you have your daughter and you now know that you don't want your daughter to experience this type of person and you're protecting your daughter. Do you think to yourself, like, why did I never self like, obviously your parents did, didn't do that for you. And now you're the parent and you, you know, you're doing your job. Um, do you say to yourself, like, uh, am I doing that for myself? And do you kind of take that on in the sense, okay, I wasn't taking care of myself in that way or protecting myself. My daughter's kind of giving me this window into myself to, to do it for me. And you start to maybe look at your future in a different way, the type of person you want to be, who you want to hang out with. Um, so going forward, like you were once a bad boy person and now you might be looking for the opposite type of person is a big thing we hear a lot. But also as far as you're a single mom, are you thinking to yourself, well... I'm a single mom. Dating might be a little bit tougher. Is there a moment where you say like, uh, you know, that there's a little bit of settling at all? Um, and as far... Definitely used to settle. So, sorry? <laughs> I said I definitely used to settle. <laughs> and as far as your attitude about your own future because you said you know you want your daughter to be independent and all these things so you're 21 22 that's not an easy thing you're living in the city it's more expensive probably than where you were before uh do you have like a plan for yourself where you're like i'm going to be the self-sufficient person and like i'm doing this job right now but i'm going to make more and i'm going to kind of move up 
and I'm going to do that, which is very difficult to do, not just being a single mom, but being a single mom that is young and doesn't have a lot of skills that are transferable to a workforce. Right. Yeah. I actually, at that age, no, I wasn't thinking about, oh, let me try to move up in the company. I was just, I I was at a really low point at those when we broke up, I was at a very, very low point in my life. And also I lived in a bad neighborhood because that's all I could afford at the time. There was drugs all around me. There was a lot of gangbangers. There was just shootings like time. So I didn't even feel comfortable taking my daughter for a walk back then because I was like, I don't want to get shot or I don't want these gangbangers to try to talk to me and bother me. So yeah, it was just a really bad point. And also because I was a single mom on one income and he never gave me child support. So like I struggled financially like so bad. So I was just at a really, really low. So you would think that at that point that I'd be like, oh, let me try to find something better, do better. No, I was still at a low point. So I actually got into another toxic relationship um, with the, I guess second toxic relationship of my life and he was a little bit better in the sense that he had money and that he was nicer to me he was actually nicer to me but he also wasn't a gang also used to you know deal drugs uh so it's still the same thing just a little bit different he had a kid that's what we bonded over um he was a single dad as well uh so that was actually what it caught my attention about him was like oh, okay we're both in the same situation um, both had a lot of drama with our kids, um, parents and stuff like that. So we bonded a lot over that. Um, that was also when I got introduced to the club scene cause I was 21 now. <laughs> That's when I met him. And so I became a party girl. All I wanted to do was party and just live that lifestyle in the clubs all the time, drinking a lot. That was when I actually didn't start drinking until I was 21. So once I started, I drank a lot back then and he was actually an alcoholic which was very traumatic in and of itself dealing with somebody like that who when we used to go out he always was fighting with people so every time we'd go out it was drama or something big happened and it was just always a big ordeal with him so that was pretty traumatic uh and I still have like issues this day to this day about like being around people that drink a lot or being around drunk people, like it really just, it does something to me. It just grosses me out, I guess, Uh, just based on like things that I've been through in the past. Um, But yeah, so I still unfortunately got into the same type of relationship. He looked different, was a little bit different, but a lot of the things he did were the same. And this was actually my first experience with like someone um, like chasing me around the house, kind of playing the cat and mouse game is like, I like to call it where they don't let you leave, you know, the house, like if you're arguing and I was going to walk out and then they block the doors and don't allow you to leave. Like that was my first relationship experiencing something like that. And it used to infuriate me to the point where I just would start hitting people. Like I would start hitting, you know, like, cause I didn't know what else to do. I'm like, I felt like I was had to defend myself and I'm not a physical person at all, but when you're blocking me from leaving my own home, we're in my house. I can't leave. Like, I feel like I'm being threatened now. And, you know, also screaming my face. That's a huge fear for me to this day because I've had a lot of guys, you know, that get in my face and try to scare me or intimidate. It's an automatic punch reaction now when people do that to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was, oh, he put me through a lot as well, especially just with the drinking. It was always drama whenever he drank and as the relationship went on so me and him were um on and off for like almost three years 
And then finally towards like the middle of the relationship, that's when I decided, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I should be dating gay bangers anymore. You know, I don't think that this is working for me. So I basically told him like, you have to get out of the gang. Otherwise I don't think this is going to work out. So he did try to get out, but that didn't change a lot. You know, there's still a lot of things internally that were wrong with him uh, that, you know, I didn't really realize either. So yeah, now he was out of the gang and not living that lifestyle anymore, but there was still a lot of other issues that he had. He's super insecure extremely controlling nobody could even look at me like if a guy looked at me he would try to fight them and I'm like you can't just try to fight everybody on the street like you're going to be fighting people for the rest of your life and I'm like if you can't fight all of them like you know and he just never understood that concept so there was just a lot of issues there with him uh but of course I tried to leave him and then he would beg the love bombing too he was a huge love bomber Um, and I always fell for it every time until obviously I was done, done at the end of it. So eventually you are saying to yourself, I want to meet a good guy (laughs) and you're looking for the opposite of what you've been dating, the people you've been dating. So, uh, take us through how you met the person that this story is about yeah so me and the second guy broke up and then i i was single for i don't know a year or so and then i met the last guy and he was so different why because well first of all the other guys were hispanic he was the first white guy i had been with so i was like oh my god it's a white guy and they're so much nicer and he was also college educated he was in college so completely different didn't gangbang didn't deal drugs none of that so i thought wow this guy's like perfect and then he was also good looking and he used to go to the gym I, I I was into my fitness and working out so we had like a lot in common like positive things and I was like oh wow this is like my soulmate I like felt just I fell for this guy so immediate like immediately and I think it was also immediately for whatever reason I thought he was too good for me and I think that was my low self-esteem due to a lot of the things that I had been through so I always felt like this guy's too good for me. You got to work extra hard to keep him around because he is like way too good. And you don't want to, you don't want him to walk away or, you know, anything like that. So I just always felt like I had to do anything and everything to keep him happy, you know, and then he's a narcissist on top of it, which of course at the time I didn't know, (laughs) but that was very, uh, you know, detrimental. But so we met, um, within the first two weeks, he told me he loved me should have been my well, and that's the same thing that happened with the other two, by the way, as well. The first two weeks, they already told me that they loved me. So then he told me he did. And because I fell so quickly, I think it was like week three, I was already telling him I was in love, which I was. I was very much in love. And my daughter was four or five at the time when me and him got together. So he wanted to step in and be like a stepdad. And so that, of course, made me fall in love with him more because I was like, oh, my gosh, a guy that, you know, I'd been a single mom for all those years. So like, I'm like, finally somebody that can help me with my kid and not feeling alone or like I have to do it all by myself. And so he was also in college at the time and I was going for my associates at the time. So that was like, he was going for his bachelor's though. So he, that was another thing as time went on, he always used to tell me um, that his schoolwork was harder than mine because I'm only going for an associate's degree and his was way, way more important than me. So he used to even undermine like my education (laughs) based on where I was at, you know? So 
anyway, um, so starting from the beginning, uh, he, I thought everything was fine. I think the first two years we were together, I think he was on his best behavior. So within this two-year period, there are signs of, um, I guess, a grandiose sense of self that are showing mm-hmm. nothing that you would take as a huge yeah. red flag um, or being abusive in any way, but a, a grandiose sense of self. And here is a person that has stepped in and you've been doing your best. You had your previous relationships, your experience there, and a savior type kind of walks in, a hero. You know, he wants to take care of my children. He wants to be part of my daughter's life. Um, someone to take the weight off of things. Uh, I've been lonely. This person is educated, is is going somewhere. It's, re- it's a real white knight uh, in the grand sense uh, here. Yeah. So no matter... Even if there were other red flags going on, it this is such a kind of big thing in, in your life within this, and you're getting yeah. this fix for a, a solid two years of, of really good things going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes we hear stories where it's a lot in a very small amount of time, but when you're getting a lot of good stuff going on over a two-year period and nothing going on, that's the person yeah. you believe the person is. And, like, it's yeah, really hard exactly. to shake that because you have two years' worth of feelings in there. Right, yeah. And the thing was also is that, uh, yeah, like I said, he was on his best behavior, and he was very confident compared to the other two guys that I was with. They were so insecure, or so I thought, right? He exuded all this confidence, like I'm going to college and I'm, you know, I'm so smart and I'm so going to be this great, like he's going to school to be a physical therapist. I can be a physical therapist and make so much money. So I was just like, wow, like, that's amazing. You know, it's because he just seemed so confident, but in reality, he was so absolutely insecure. Um, But I didn't realize that till after year two. But uh, I think part of a red flag that I missed with him in the beginning was wanting to spend all his time with me and not giving me that space to be with my friends and family. But at the time I mistook it for like, Oh, he just loves spending time with me. I finally, a guy that wants to spend all of his time with me. I'm so lucky. I looked at it as like, wow, I'm so lucky instead of like, Ooh, you should, you know, really make time to do things with other people besides him. But I think that's why the two year first two years were so good. Cause I was just like, so into that, you're in the the honeymoon phase basically for those two years and it was all good. And we spent all this time together. And then like, after that, it was like, okay, now I want to, I miss my friends. I haven't really seen my friends in two years. Like I want to hang out with them. And then that's when he was like, he would fight with me. If I wanted to hang out with, even with my sisters, I remember one time I went, I told him I'm going to go. And I always had to give him notice. I had to give him a two week notice if I wanted to go out. So I had to basically, one, ask for permission, and two, give him notice to let him know in advance. And I think I had to do that so that he can make my life miserable until I went out to see if I would. He would always pick a fight with me, so I think he did it to see if, I, okay, if I make her miserable enough, she, she maybe she won't go. And she'll just stay home with me. And it did work for the first few times that he did it until I started catching on to what he was doing. And I was just like, 
too bad. You know, yeah, I'm upset right now, but I'm still going out too bad. And like, he just always used to pick a huge fight, like the day before or the day of that I was going to go out with a friend or go to dinner with my sisters or whatever, you know, was, he did that all the time. Uh, and I didn't catch on though for a long time with that. Um, yeah, it's just super charming. I thought again, that he was too good for me. So I couldn't wait for like all my friends and family to meet him. And then I remember I had a friend, uh, he was always really, really quiet around my friends and family. Like this guy who's supposed to be very secure with himself, like never said a word. He was so quiet and I never understood why. And now looking back, it's because he was so insecure that he, and he also had this, you know, narcissists have this ego, right? Where he would meet my friends and family. And then I'd say, well, how come you didn't really like talk with them? I saw you were kind of sitting over there by yourself. And he's like, they should be getting to know me. I'm your boyfriend. They should be getting to know me. And I was like, why do you think that it should be opposite? It should be both. Like, yeah, they should be trying to get to know you. You should be trying to get to know them as well because they're my friends and I'm your girlfriend. But he just had this thing where everybody has to, you know, this high and mighty person and they all need to like bow down to me. Um, During that period in that first two years when you're not around, are your friends and family saying something like, hey, you're not hanging out with us? This is odd. Or is this something that like a lot of your friends might do? Like it's kind of par Mm -hmm. for the course. So it doesn't seem out of the ordinary. So my my family didn't really notice anything, but my friends did. The one friend that I was about to say, she's told me he was socially awkward. She's like, you know, he's kind of socially awkward. And I got so offended because I was so in love with this guy. I was so offended and I actually stopped talking to her about it or stopped talking to her because of her comment. And I was like, she's just jealous. <laughs> you know, she's just jealous because she's in a marriage and it's like not working. And she's, you know, jealous of what we have. And then when we broke up, we talked about it and she's like, you see, you like abandoned me and, and I was right. And I was like, I know, but at the time I didn't know that, you know? So, I mean, what can you do? So after, you know, an incident like that happens where he meets everyone and, uh, you know, he brings up that they're the ones that aren't talking to him. There's no even Steven here. It's a, it's is, are you, is there a pattern that starts forming where you begin to notice that it's um not, there's no meeting in the middle. It's like yeah. one sided all the time. Yep. Uh, whenever it came to my friends and family, he was ready to go in two hours. Like two hours after we arrived, he'd be like, "When are we leaving? What time are we going home? How much longer do we need to stay?" And I'm like, and then I, I told him too, I was like, why is it whenever we're with my people, like we have to leave right away, but we can spend hours and days with your friends and family. I'm like, that's not fair. And I didn't realize that till like two and a half, three years in. Um, and he was like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. So then he like treaded a little bit lightly, but he still did it. You know, it just was a little bit more subtle. <laughs> Um, but there was definitely a difference when it came to his friends and family. We spent a lot more time with his people than with mine and again that's part of the isolation tactic that they do keep away from your support system and stick around their people who again unfortunately his family are huge enablers so they weren't gonna ever stick up for me or say hey don't talk to her like don't do that to her you know just always defend him no matter what and as far as his uh i guess lower self-esteem that you didn't realize was there what do you think he was afraid of? If you could speculate, 
what, you know, besides isolating you from your friends, but when he was around them, why he didn't talk? I don't know. I, I, I think he thought he was too good for them in a weird, it's like so insecure yet. So like, you know, egotistical. So like, I feel like part of it was like, I'm not good enough for them or I'm too good to be talking to these people. So there's an entitlement (laughs) In a, in a yes, way that that, that was going yes. on, was it an entitlement of education, uh, backgrounds? Was it a racist entitlement? No, I don't really think so. But I definitely think it was like the, I'm educated. My parents both have college educations. Um, you know, I'm just different. None of my family, I won't say none of my family, but most of my family are not college educated. So I don't know if it had something to do with that where he just thought he was like, better than us because of that or if there was other factors but yeah he definitely had a huge sense of entitlement and it used to drive me absolutely it was like disgusting like it's probably one of the worst things that I hated about him was that like he just thought he was just high and mighty above other people because you know for whatever reason (laughs) when you look at it in the sense of entitlement and if you're trying to really pay attention to red flags that you might not notice you know people say like how do they treat a server or how do they treat you know there's ways to to look at things like that but just like just when you're just being observant to how they are in in real life how they are looking at people on the street who might have less than them little tiny things it could be looks on faces things they might not verbalize out loud to you because they know it's not the right thing to say because it might be uh, seen as a red flag. But if you pay attention to body language and and things like that, you can, you can possibly pick up on those things that like his body is telling us, telling us that uh, someone's that they're entitled. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He was so entitled with a lot of things like, um, I just talked about this on another podcast. Uh, like, so he used to expect gifts, not like want them, expect. And if I didn't get him gifts for like birthdays, holidays, Father's Days, um, would fight with me and tell me how ungrateful I was and what a horrible person I was because how could I not celebrate him and I have the money to do it and just all these things and try to make me feel absolutely horrible. Um, and one time too, I got more gifts for Christmas from his family than he did. And he got mad at me because his parents got me all these gift cards and they got him like one thing. And he was so mad. And I was like, I have nothing to do with what they gave me for Christmas. I'm like, maybe they like me better because I'm nicer than you. (laughs) I don't know. But he just used to get like, he used to fight with me about just like, and then one time he wanted, I remember he wanted some boat shoes for uh, his birthday. So I bought him some. And then when he got them, he asked me if I would return them because they're, he doesn't like them and he didn't want me to waste my money. So can I buy him something else that he would actually wear? And I was like so offended because I've like, I'm like, nobody has ever told me to take back a gift, like especially one that they said that they wanted. And then he said, no, like just buy me a pair of Jordans instead for the same money. Like I just was so I was just so dumbfounded. I was like, I can't believe people could be that mean. Cause I was like, even if somebody bought me a present that I absolutely hated, I would never let them know that. Like, you know, and it's just the thought that counts. That's what I was just telling. It's the thought that counts. It's not about like the amount of the gift or, you know, where it's from. And he just always used to fight over things like that. So there's again, that sense of entitlement, you know, that he had. 
So after, you know, these first red flags start to show, um, do things start to uh, devolve in the sense of uh, devaluing you? How do things uh, progress? So I started becoming like resentful of him because I wasn't seeing my friends and family and because I knew that it was always an issue. And then there was uh, issues also with drug use. So he originally, he ha- he has like a, an addictive personality. So when he met me, he told me he had stopped drinking because he got the case because he accidentally punched a cop in the face because he was drunk. So he caught this whole case, and that was another red flag, actually, that he never took accountability for that. He always used to blame it on his friend that, oh, I caught this case because I was trying to help my friend out, and I was just trying to be a good friend. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have all these problems. And I'm just like, yeah, but you're the one that drank. You're the one that decided to get into the fight. Nobody forced you to do any of that. I'm like, you need to stop complaining about it. He would get so upset when I would tell him that. I was like, take accountability for your actions. You messed up. And now you're dealing with the consequences of it. Oh, my God, did he hate it? Like, he used to fight with me. He would get so mad that I would tell him that. Um, But also, uh, what was I going to say as well about the drug use? Um, Then, because he had the addictive personality, he started smoking a lot of weed, but to the point that, like, it was consuming his life. And I'm a weed smoker, too. I'm not going to lie. But I did it, like, you know, after the workday was over, after all the things were done, after the kid was in bed, smoke a little, go to bed, right? But then it got to the point where he started smoking. Then he had to do it when he woke up. He had to do it before he ate. He had to do it before going to the bathroom. Like, he had to do it all the time where I told him, I was like, I feel like you're taking the fun out of it now. Now it's turning into, like, this chore that we have to do every day. And it just, I was like, I don't even want to smoke anymore. (laughs) So then it turns out he was spending all of his money on weed. Like, he kept complaining that he was broke. And I don't have money for this. And I don't have money for that. And I'm like, where's all your money going? I don't understand. And I was like, let me see your, like, bank account. I can help you. I'm really good with money. Let me help you budget. And he would refuse. He would not let me see his finances, which was another red flag. And I never understood why until we broke up. I'm like, okay, now I get it. He didn't want me to see because he would, I would have seen that it was all going to, like, weed, picking out cash to go pay for some weed, right? But literally, so, like, we split the bills, not fully. I took on more of the bills because I was working full-time and he was only working part-time. Um, and so, uh, God, what was I going to say? We're splitting the bills. And then I got a, a, a letter from a lawyer saying, you're back six months on your assessments because he was supposed to pay the assessments for the condo. And they're like, if you, you're at risk of losing your condo if you don't pay these assessments. And I was livid, of course, because I'm like, my name was under the condo. I'm like, of course, you don't care because it doesn't affect you at all. And I've tried really hard to make sure my credit is good. and. You know, I knew I wanted to buy more properties one day. And so I, that's basically when everything started taking a turn for the worse because I lost respect for him. I, like, looked at him very differently because I was like, you're a man that has a family and you're literally seeing to buy weed. This is mentally and emotionally addicting for him, I think. But it just was really upsetting for me. Like, you have a family and you're not even taking care of your responsibilities. You're just choosing basically this drug over us and over being responsible. And that's basically when I started losing respect for him and I started looking at him like differently. Like, I'm like, ooh, gross. <laughs> How did I end up here again, you know? So after that happens with 
the non-payments and the condo, you're you're losing respect for him. Um, does he feel that um, part of his control over you starts to leave? And and then when that happens, is that when things go from mm-hmm. um, workable or manageable to ah, oh, that's a little annoying. I can deal with that. To this is really bad. Yeah, it is, was exactly that. He, I think he started to see that I was kind of catching on to him. And I think he was like, oh, God, I'm starting to lose control. So there was this wedding that I was a part of. I was in the bridal party. And all the girls, the, the wedding party was going to New Orleans for a, a destination bachelorette. Oh, I was so scared to tell this guy about it because I knew it was going to be a ginormous fight. I knew he was going to, like, make my life hell. So I actually booked the trip when all the other girls did. And I didn't tell him till like, two months before the trip because I knew I was going to just be in for it. And surely enough, he made my life hell for those two months and always was like, I don't want you to go. Why do you have to go? I don't understand. I thought you don't like those girls. Like, I liked the girl that was getting married, but I didn't really like her friends, you know? So, like, he was just always throwing that in there. Why are you going to be around a bunch of people you don't like and this and that? And um, anyway, I ended up going, but he stalked me the entire time I was at the trip, too. He, like, didn't leave me alone. Um, So, uh, anyway, so then going back to, like, when he started realizing that I was, like, starting to lose respect for him, he started seeing that I was doing things like that. Like, if I wanted to go out, I was going to go out. I wasn't going to let him try to talk me out of it anymore or get to me so that I was so upset that I didn't go. And um, the fights also started getting way worse. They started getting more physical. Um, again, with the cat and mouse, he would do the same thing. He would stand in front of the door and not allow me to leave, or I'd go run to the bathroom to get away from him. And then he'd like threaten to break the door down. He would uh, punch holes in the walls. He would slam the doors really hard. He just would get in my face, like in my face and just start screaming at me at the top of his lungs. And I'm a short, per- I'm a little person. I'm like five foot even. I'm like, what, 140 pounds. And he was like, I don't know, two something, six, three. He was huge. So like he was trying to intimidate me and he actually did because I would get scared and he would always break my things, not hit. Whenever he went to pick something up to throw it, best believe it wasn't his own things. It was mine. And that I've learned is actually strategic. So that means that they actually can control themselves. They just choose not to. Um, So, yeah. So once the fight started getting really worse, then I was like, wait a minute, like why? what am I doing? Like, why do you think you need to be with this person? And then it was finally one day we got into a really bad fight, um, about, about bills and, and the, the drugs. Um, he had told me he was always complaining that he was broke. So then, but he willing to take on more hours at work or get another job or anything like that. And then, but he would just cry about it. So then I, you know, he, he told me, Oh, I'm so broke. And I'm like, I don't even want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear about your money problems. <laughs> and then, so we went to drop off my daughter at gymnastics. And then he's like, can you take me to jewel really quick? And I was like, for what? He's like, I need to take out money. I'm like, I thought you just said you don't have money. And he's like, I have to get weed. And I was like, I thought you don't have money. And he's like, Oh, but you know, for that, I always find a way. I was so incredibly, like, just beyond offended. I couldn't even believe that he had the audacity to say that. And then I, all I said back was, like, it's funny how you always find uh, money to pay for that, but you never find money to pay your bills. 
oh my God, the explosion. He exploded at me in the car. He started pushing me. So then the, the steering wheel was moving and I almost crashed and he was screaming again in the face, slamming on the dashboard, acting crazy. Um, and because he did that, he always used to bring the worst out of me again. I'm not a physical person, but when he would get like that, it would make me want to defend myself. So like he, we were in the car and again, he was like right in my face. And so I backhanded him and it wasn't like purposefully, it was more like a reaction that my body had, you know? And then because I like backhanded him because he was in my face, he was like, Oh my God, you hit me. And you're a horrible person and now look at you and you're this and you're that. And I'm just like, dude, just get out of my car. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Just get out, get out, get out, get out. And he's like, no, I'm not getting out. And no. And he was just being like super crazy. And then I told, um, and then he was like, fine, I'll get out of the car, but just, just apologize and admit that you shouldn't have hit me. I was like, yes, you're absolutely right. I should not have hit you. And then he gets out of the car. So I just speed off. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just trying to get away from this guy. I, my, one of my friends lived down the block. So I ended up at her house. And then two minutes later, he shows up there and then he starts cursing my name, calling me all types of bitches and this and that. And my friend never seen this. And remember he, he's only acting like this behind closed doors with me. Nobody else knows that he's like, everybody thinks he's this amazing, sweet guy. So he starts snapping at me in front of her and calling me all types of names. And then she's like, do you hear yourself? She's like, what's wrong with you? How are you talking to her this way? And then just like that, you could see the, like, the, like just the, he snapped out of it. You could see his eyes clear. And he was just like, he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'll never disrespect your house like this again. And then he comes to me and he gives me a kiss on the head, forehead. He's like, I'm sorry. I'll see you later at home. I love you. And then he just leaves. Like none of that ever happened. And I was just so like, I, I couldn't even grasp what just happened it was so I it just was so much in such a little amount of time of like so much that happened I just couldn't even put it all together but then I was so sad and I remember I went to go pick up my daughter from gymnastics we had the most quietest awkward dinner ever <laughs> put her to bed and then I normally went to hang out with him in our bedroom after you know my daughter went to bed and then this time I didn't I don't want to be around him so I was so upset I was in the living room for like an hour or two by myself. And then he finally comes to the living room and he has his hands on his hips and he's looking at me and he's like, so what do you have to say for yourself? And that was finally my light bulb moment. That's the moment that the light came on in my head. And I was like, this guy does not respect you. This guy does not care about you. He does not value you. He thinks you're a joke. He thinks this is a joke. And that's when I finally was just like, you know what? I think you need to go to your parents' house for the night or something. I can't be around you right now. Like, I'm so upset. And then he's just like, oh, you know, then he starts to change the tune. Oh, are you sure? And, you know, it shouldn't have happened. And I'm sorry that that happened. And I don't want to go to my parents' house. And I was just like, I really think you need to go just for tonight. You know, and I did. I just thought it was just for the night. I thought I was going to miss him and want him back the next day. Every night that passed, I felt the biggest weight off of my shoulders. I felt like I didn't have to walk on eggshells in my own home. I felt peace. I finally felt at peace. And I was like, uh-oh, this is a good, I thought that I was going to miss him and want him to come back. And I, every day that passed, I was like, I think, I think, and then I finally told him, I, I think, I, I, I think we, we need to break up. And oh my God, he's like, if I would have known that you were going to break up with me, I would have not ever left in the first place. And, you know, are you sure? And, you know, you're just upset and you know, all these, you know, and then of course with the love bombing and, you know, I love you so much. And I just wanted to try to make this work. And, 
you know, I'm a good guy and all this, you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, nope, nope, not having it. And then still, even after we broke up, I told him, pick up all your crap. He left a lot of his stuff at my house on purpose so that he had reasons to continue to come back. We also shared a dog. He refused to let me see our dog. I was only allowed to see her if he was around. So again, another control tactic that I didn't realize at the time. He also refused to give me my house keys back. Um, Same thing. And he would come into the house when I wasn't home and take things or, you know, his own things, not my stuff. Uh, But I didn't realize until after that those were all things to continue to control me and not give me like my peace and my space. And so, yeah. It was a very, very traumatic <laughs> relationship that last So time. within this, you know, you had your, your boundaries. And uh, we hear a lot of stories of people that don't have uh, proper uh, boundaries. And even though you're in this relationship with this person and you had these good times and you're seeing all these things, you are putting up your boundaries really uh, hard ones when you need to. And there was no give back uh, on it. And it was very noticeable to you once those boundaries were put up that he went from control to losing control, noticing when that control was lost, and then thinking that with you he could just love bomb you right back, which works for a lot of people, but you're not having it. And, uh, you know, once you put up that, Again, that boundary, it went from, it was this Jekyll and Hyde person. And it was all dependent on his needs and his control. And uh, the softer person would come in thinking it would work. And when it didn't work, boom, it goes back the other way. So for you, because of that, it became so clear cut it was hard for you to not see. And you're thinking of it in, in that way. When you're thinking of your daughter in this sense, what was she seeing during this time? And what was uh, her view of it in the aftermath of everything? Because she's older, at the, I guess a little bit older at this point, where she's able to understand what's going on. Yeah. So we never fought in front of her, but we used to fight behind closed doors, our bedroom. But we lived in a little condo, and she definitely heard everything, you know. So I have talked to her about it, and she tells me that she remembers us fighting a lot and that she used to go to her bedroom. I had, she had a little, like, art easel, and she's like, and then when you guys used to fight, I used to draw pictures to make myself feel better. So it's, like, really sad to hear her say that. But, again, I didn't know that that was an abusive relationship. and so. That's why I'm very adamant now about teaching her these things. That way she doesn't end up in this situation herself. Um, but it did affect her. You know, she did say that, especially she actually was close with him and she loved him a lot. And um, it did break her heart when we broke up. You know, um, that was very hard on her because they were close. Um, but at the same time, I ended up, she was uh, seven, eight, nine at the time we broke up. So she asked me what happened and I told her he was not being good to your mom. I'm like, he wasn't treating me well and he wasn't paying bills and he wasn't doing that. You know, I didn't tell her everything. I told her in an age appropriate way what had happened, but I basically told her he wasn't treating me the way I deserved, you know, and, and I, I couldn't be with him anymore. And then she's like, okay, mommy, I just want you to be happy. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just going to be you and me for who knows how long now. And 
we're good. You know, she, she's a resilient, kids are resilient. So she was fine, you know, and we, I was actually, I started going to counseling for that. So I think it helped a lot. Uh, but so I wanted to mention something else that I forgot that I think is really important was the sexual coercion um, that used to happen a lot that I didn't know was a thing again until I started my nonprofit. I didn't even know that that was a, th- I didn't even know abuse was a thing either. Narcissism. I didn't know any of these things. Um, so he basically used to like beg for sex until I would give in. And I didn't even, I just thought that that's what guys do. <laughs> It's sad, but I really did. I thought that all guys do that. They just beg when they want it. And you just, maybe if you feel like it, you give in. But I used to give in a lot um, to it. And that's something really important to remember for anybody listening is that, you know, your no is a no. That's a boundary. And you don't have to explain why. You don't have to say, I'm on my period or I don't feel like it. Your no should be your no. And your partner should respect it and not keep trying to push past your boundary, especially when it comes to, like, physical intimacy. Um yeah, I think that that's really important because I hear this from a lot of ladies that, you know, they're sexually coerced by their partners and they too don't know that it's a not okay thing and that, you know, a no is okay to say. So there's a sexual coercion, which was one thing that you had to learn. Obviously, when it came to the physical abuse, you know that that is abuse. So right. when you started your counseling and then eventually you get to doing your not for your not for profit, uh, where did you, I guess, begin to go down the rabbit hole to be like, okay, all this other stuff was abuse beforehand and all these other things were all these red flags. And um, when did you kind of start delving into maybe this person has a personality disorder of some sort or at least that they're on a spectrum? Did you start to say to yourself, well, how did I get here this third time and to say, okay, um, they had all of these things. It was disguised very well this time. How do I not go about finding that again? And then did you start looking introspectively as far as like, um, how you went from this type to this type to finding yourself here and, um, as far as that void goes, how in, in the aftermath of therapy of maybe what you were searching for, do you fill that yourself? And I know that's a lot of different questions and I don't know how you're going to remember how to answer it all, but try. <laughs> yeah. So counseling did help me realize and counseling is not easy, especially when you're really putting the effort into it. Um, of realizing those hard truths that you have to swallow those pills that you're like, Oh man. So like, I was like, how did I end up here? And, and, you know, for a long time, I used to blame like well, my messed up childhood. That's probably why. No, I, nobody told me to go date these guys. Nobody told me to pick them. Those were all my poor decisions. And so that was a really hard pill for me to swallow that. Like I had made all these poor choices, but once I finally accepted that, it was like easy for me to like stop beating myself up about it, you know, and it it was not easy to do that. It's not easy to admit where you've gone wrong in your life. Um, But it was a big milestone for me to understand um, why I was making these decisions and choosing these people. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And then um, as far as like 
I guess I forgot all the other questions you asked. Well, before we um, get to those other questions, I just want to uh, kind of step in here and talk about what you just said. Because a, a long time ago, there was a review on the show, like because people can leave reviews and you can't rebut the reviews, but there was a review where someone said um, that the people on the show, and this person only listened to one episode, but um, right. that they're just making bad decisions. And it really bothered me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that you're taking responsibility. I mean, everyone has this natural uh, wiring in them, a software program that's running you. And your decisions are part of that. And to deny the fact that like this ingrained software within you is like creating these decisions, you're like, well, you're not, you're not making bad decisions. This is just our programming. And it's up to us after the fact to be like, well, I don't want this stuff to happen again. So let's reprogram our, our, our programming. So you know, so that, mm-hmm. that that kind of thing, just for everyone out, out there who thinks it's like victim blaming in, in any way, it's not. It's just like, and it's not that we're taking responsibility in the sense of like, this is our fault. It's more of the sense of like, right. everyone has these things. Everyone has their habits and all of those things. And everyone has their patterns, which we can repeat. And a lot of the times, you know, it's not just part, part of the show isn't just about, um, validating our experiences and um, learning about our experiences. It's about bouncing off of each other and transcending a lot of what has happened to us and to, and to grow from our experience. And it's unfortunate that we have to grow from a terrible experience, but this is something that a lot of people will hear and think that, um, there's no responsibility uh, being taken or, or, or things along those lines. But it has nothing to do with that. It's about, like, how do we grow from something that is terrible and how do we re- reprogram ourselves to be a, a better version of ourselves and, you know, become this thing that you didn't know was possible, you didn't know was there, and, and you're, you know, I don't know if I'm making sense, but. Yeah, yeah, totally. You totally are, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, something else uh, was that I really took a step back, and I think I was single after him for, like, a couple months, and then I remember telling my sister, oh, I started talking to this one guy again, and she's like, you're already dating again? She's like, you just broke up with this crazy person, and then, and then I was just like, oh, it's okay, and she said something that, like, will n- I will never forget. It changed my life, honestly. She's like, you spent your entire 20s dating shitty guys. Do you want your 30s to be the same way? It's something that sentence I was like she's right and I'm like no I don't I want my 30s to be amazing so I actually took a break from dating for almost three years and it was life-changing because I realized I was codependent on people and not just men but like my friends as well like I never was okay with being in my own company I had major issues with it and I didn't ever really know why and I think it's because I hadn't dealt with a lot of the stuff from my past. So whenever I was in my own thoughts, that stuff used to come up for me. And so, yeah, like I, I just finally took that time to be by myself. And I always tell the ladies that I help take the time to be by yourself. It's the best gift you can ever give yourself. Then 
you're going to learn to love yourself. You're going to learn to love to be in your own company. And then you won't, when another person tries to come along and try to, if they're a narcissist or whatever, or abusive, like you're not going to even allow that type of treatment because you're treating yourself so well and you love yourself now that that's just going to be automatic red flags for you. You're going to notice right away. You're going to get those gut feelings that don't feel good. You're just going to know. And that was a life-changing thing for me that I decided to do. Um, and so that's why I always give people that advice. Stop jumping from relationship to relationship. Give yourself the time to heal and learn. And why did I end up with that person? What happened? What What is the common denominator here? Like, and how can I learn from it and, and make a different decision in the future? So we did an episode, a Q&A episode a, a while back uh, with Vienna, who's been, was once a uh, survivor story, uh, guest. And, uh, we do a lot of Q and a episodes, uh, together. And we did one that was called dark night of the soul, dark night of the soul. Um, uh, and hopefully you go and take a listen to that, but also share that with, um, your, uh, the people that come through your organization. It's really interesting about, um, the person that, you know, you have to kind of rebirth yourself, through through um, this kind of tragedy and in the light that comes from um, the darkness, um, right. but as far as the and now I'm switching quickly here. I'm all over the place, mm-hmm. but uh, when it came to the psychology of your partner and in, in going down that route and, and understanding what you were dealing with, when you discovered that stuff, were you like, I can't believe what I am reading in a book here is what I was dealing with. And how did that affect you? So I actually wasn't surprised once I started uncovering what narcissism and all that stuff meant. It made complete sense because my dad is a narcissist. And so I was like, oh, it's a cycle. I was picking the same type of person like what I had grew up with thinking was normal. And, you know, all the things that my dad did, that's what I ended up finding within these guys. All of the three guys that I mentioned today, they were all the same. And they all were controlling like my dad. They were all very charming like my dad. I always call it having a mouthpiece. So having that, that game, like that, you know, say anything and you can make anybody feel like a million dollars, you know, um, they just all exuded that. And that was just like, Oh, okay. So it's a cycle that I'm in that I need to break. And then that's when I started learning about cycles and generational cycles and just how far back it really goes in our families. And that's something I'm very adamant, which is why I decided to do family therapy with my mom. Cause I'm like, I can break these cycles. Like, you know, Maybe not us. Well, with us, yes, but like future generations in our family, you know, I just didn't even know about any of this stuff. And it's it's real. There's things that happen in our families that go on and on. And we just don't know any better because that's just the way it's always been. (laughs) It's what I hear from people all the time. Well, that's just the way it's always been. That just just because things have always been like that doesn't mean it's the right way. You know, and I always say that to people. (laughs) And what was the catalyst eventually where you said, okay, I'm starting up my own organization? Yeah, so um, it actually started off completely opposite of what I do now. So, like, it was geared towards small businesses and women-owned entrepreneurs and things like that. But then COVID happened. So then I wanted to start a support group for COVID, like just a COVID support group, because I saw all these women online saying that they were depressed and anxious and scared. 
So it's like, let's just come together and do something together. And then very quickly, that COVID support group turned into a, I am now experiencing all these flashbacks. There's things that are now coming back to me because now everybody's stuck at home during COVID. And they're like, all these memories are coming back. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. Um, all this stuff. So then I was like, then it very quickly turned into like a, a, a trauma support group. And then it just grew from there. And we continue to see a huge, huge, the services that we offer. Uh, and that's kind of how it all started. It was because of COVID to be honest with you. Um, and just a lot of people suffering during COVID. And, and that's the thing that I tell people is like, if COVID showed us anything, it's one, how much we need other people and how community and relationships are so important. And two, that, um, like we need each other, <laughs> we need each other and that, you know, we just need to be around each other and support each other. And it just goes a long way to have that community. And if you had any words of wisdom or advice for people uh, listening, what would it be? I would definitely say if you feel something in your gut, follow it. If you feel like, you know, you're around a person and you feel weird, follow that feeling because our guts are usually always right for the most part. Um, I think we tend to overlook those those vibes that we get, whether, you know, they're bad vibes and we're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal try to downplay it or just ignore it. And we get those feelings for a reason. So if you're around someone that doesn't feel right, or if they said something that doesn't feel right, it, it doesn't feel right for a reason. So follow that and investigate it. Why does that trigger me? Why is that making me feel weird? You know, like you should definitely just not ignore things because that's how, you know, bigger issues arise in the future. I always say that like sometimes we ignore the little red flags and those little red flags end up being huge things later on um, that cause even bigger issues. So, so, I mean, I have tons of other advice, but I'll go with that <laughs> for now. <laughs> Thank you today, Larissa, for being a guest on our show today. You helped a lot of people, uh, not just sharing your experience, but sharing the education Um and, you know, just sharing who you are and, you know, letting it all hang out there from your, your childhood experience to your, um, you know, your experience here with your, with your mom and going to therapy. And I really hope that that brings you a lot of healing because it's so rare what you are about to endure or encounter and maybe you can come back another time maybe if with your mom i don't know if she'd be up to something like that that would be that would be scary you look okay um well i mean that for me for, for her she's yeah because it's like i mean I it's pretty <laughs> rare for i think what you're doing here um yeah. and uh you know just sharing everything just thank you uh, I know I've been rambling right there and been I people don't know that I've now said this part twice, but you only hear it once because <laughs> uh, I've been fumbling over my words. But really, a big thank you for me and from everyone who's uh, listened to you and your story today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And now, everyone, um, we are about to hear a follow-up, a follow-up from Quinn who was a guest on our show about midsummer last year off the top of my head, if I remember correctly, somewhere around there. So here is my brief follow-up with Quinn. 
Hi, everyone. Uh, this is uh, one of those times where we're going to talk to a former guest of the show. And with me, I have Quinn. How are you, Quinn? Very well. Thank you. And we get a lot of emails uh, about specific episodes. We got a lot of emails uh, from your episode People really connected with you. And, you know, when I say you're going to at least touch, you know, a lot of the time I say you're at least going to touch one person's life. You touched many people's life and you changed people's lives. So thank you once again, if I didn't thank you enough from being on the show previously. So, you know, people sometimes listen to their episodes and they hear things that maybe they didn't hear before and and they look at things in in different ways after they've been on so for you how i guess has your life been overall and how did the episode in listening to yourself uh change things for you or at least make you think things in a different way or, or look deeper in other ways well, I think that being on the show um, was so more influential to me than I thought it would be. At first, I just thought it would be, um, you know, it's a good way to vent. It's a good way to get some of this off my chest, um, maybe, you know, put out there to help some other people. But it ended up helping me so much because, it. first of all, my daughter, who is um, 27, she listened to the whole show a few times and she said, wow. I now understand a lot of what was going on at that time and I can see it all now. And a lot of, a lot of my childhood that had this person in it now makes sense to me after hearing that. So it opened up some dialogues between me and her. And it also just made me give a lot more reflection to what was going on. And every day I still have these revelations. Something will pop into my mind and sometimes it will be something that's very self-affirming. Like, oh, I didn't have an issue with that or I didn't have a problem with that. He made me think I did. So even now that I'm, I think, almost on my 10-year anniversary out of the relationship, it's still a thing that's growing in me to get over this thing. And uh, it's actually, you said how, you know, some things that have happened since. I actually saved someone's life, basically, because of this, because I had just gotten out of this and I was just talking about it, thinking about it. And a few months later, I had a friend who um, got divorced and she was dating this man. And she started saying things like, well, suddenly he shut down on me. He didn't call me for a few days. Oh, but now everything's good. And there were so many red flags and there was gaslighting. I saw everything. And so I took her by the horns and I said, no, 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 you can't call him back. You have to go no contact. And she said, well, I'm really lonely. And, and he does have a really good side. And so I just talked to her a lot. And I said, look, every time you're lonely, call me and I'll come over. I'll talk to you and don't call him back. It's going to be miserable. And after she went no contact, he went completely nuts. He was threatening her. She was afraid he was going to show up. She almost got a restraining order. And uh, in the end, she broke it off with him. And and she credited me with basically saving her life. Um, and now she's in another great relationship where the guy's completely not abusive. So um, that all kind of came about by the reflection of everything that we were talking about and really being able to spot that behavior 
which I think a lot of us, when we get into the abusive relationship, we say, oh, but he's got a good side. Well, he must be having an off day. Well, that's a fluke. Everybody gets angry sometimes. Um, everybody lies a little now and then, you know, and we make all these excuses. Uh, now I see much more clearly right away um, what's going on. And um, I, I will never be in the dating world again. I hope not. But if I were, I would certainly know what to look out for. <laughs> in, in the email that you sent to me a little while ago, you discussed gaslighting. So, um, talk about, I guess, like your revelations about gaslighting, uh, since you've been on. Well, one thing is that I remembered this, um, this thing in the very beginning of the relationship where, where it was still the honeymoon period. Um, but his dog was dying and his ex-girlfriend was going to come over to see the dog. So when I went to his apartment later that day, a picture of him and his ex-girlfriend was on the refrigerator. The only picture in the house, really. It was on right smack on the refrigerator. And I said, that's weird. And then a few days later, it was gone. And I mentioned it to him. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. You must be remembering before. Are you okay? You seemed a little off, you know. And suddenly he made me feel like maybe I didn't see that. Maybe that hadn't happened. And later in the relationship, it was just all about him trying to break me down. I think a lot of people have experienced this where um, basically you try to make me feel like I was not in control of things. I was bad at making decisions. I was dangerous. He would call me dangerous because I didn't um, well, I don't want to look out for things. I wasn't on top of things. So he would come over to my house and try to say, oh, you left that light on you're dangerous or you, you know, didn't put this away. That's dangerous. You're dangerous. And he tried to make me feel like I was just a mess. And I think when that happens, you also, it rattles you a lot and you kind of start becoming a mess. You kind of start becoming jittery and you actually do start doing stupid things. Um, so he, he would always use that line with me, which was, you know, um, trying to make me think that I was stupid or or incapable. And I, one, one thing I remember in particular was I had an, I had gotten this new oven microwave combo and it had a clock on it and the clock would just be completely the wrong time at times. And I could never figure it out. Later, I was told there was a short in it that made it kept going back to midnight and starting over again. So it was always wrong. And he would come in and he would say, you messed up the clock on your oven again. And I would say, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't even touch it. It just, does this thing. I don't know what it is. And he drilled into my brain that I had somehow done this and not known. So he was just um, constantly trying to find fault with me, trying to call it to light, you know, and, and he would also, I wonder if other, this happens to other people. He would tell me facts that weren't facts. And he would try to make me think they were true to the point that I would Google them. So one thing he would always say was, People who live in houses have failed marriages. People who live in apartments stay together. And I'm not sure why he pressed this issue, but I was actually Googling, do marriages in houses? <laughs> you know, so he would, he would just give me all these facts that weren't at all true and just try to drive it into me and brainwash me to the point that where I would, all I heard was him talking to me for hours I would start to sort of believe 
you know, what he was saying. But I've gotten better at standing up for myself and um, particularly at work where I think sometimes um, you start to notice more things that haven't been right now that you've been through, you've recognized your abusive relationship. You start to recognize that, you know, these things can happen at work too. And that's been big for me to be able to come up with some phrases um, and also be able to talk. Um, I'm more comfortable now talking to friends and certain colleagues about my abusive past and how it's shaped me. Um, and, you know, it's not like I tell anybody, but, you know, in certain situations. And I did confide to one colleague. I said, sometimes um, one of my bosses um, says this thing to me and I, and I want to come back but I don't want to be disrespectful. And he gave me the best sentence to say, which I now love to use. And I never thought of, of, of putting it in this way because um, it's not accusatory, but it's saying, um, I'm not comfortable with the way you're talking to me. And that's, um, I, I love it. So that's the phrase that I keep ready now so that if somebody is treating me in a way I don't want to be treated, I'm not comfortable with the way you're treating me or the way you're talking to me. Um, and so I can't wait to use it now that I've, <laughs> I've heard it. Um, because, you know, it's hard for me to say, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. Um, it's not what I come from. And I think my abuser knew that because all he said to me in the first honeymoon period was, you're such a sweetheart. You're such a sweetheart. You're the sweetest person I've ever met. You're the nicest person I've ever met. You're the kindest person I've ever met. And then now I, when I look back at that, I realize that this is exactly what he was shopping for. He was shopping for a nice, soft punching bag, you know? So in, in, you see these things in retrospect. Okay. A lot. So before we leave this update, is there anything else that's kind of going on that you want to share with uh, everyone? Well... My life is just really good right now. I have a, a job that I mostly love um, and I, you know, I make a good income. I have a farm, I have goats and chickens and um, everything I ever dreamed of on my farm. I have a husband who's really loving and uh, you know, we have a lot of fun. In fact, the day is not long enough for me. Whereas I remember in my abused days, I, I couldn't wait for bedtime. That was the best when I could go home to my bed and sleep undisturbed, you know, that was the best time of day for me. Now the day can't be long enough. I have so much that I love to do. So things are really good. And once again, if you have any words of wisdom or advice for people listening, what would it be? Um, I, to cut things off at the pass, I'm going to say again, the, the phrase my friend gave me that I love, I'm not comfortable with you treating me that way. Um, it's, it's such a good phrase because it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it doesn't allow there to be something wrong with what the person's doing. Like, fine, you can yell at me or rage at me, but look, I'm not comfortable with this. And to take yourself out of the situation, um, it's such an easy thing to say, but such a hard thing to do. But yeah, it, there's people that are so abusive and so terrible in this world. And, you know, we forgive them because they have a good part, but it's not your job to forgive them. It's not your job to take care of this person. It's your job to take care of your child or your pet or your aging parent. It's not your job to take care of this person who has some tiny little good part of them. And so I just encourage people to get out and get help and get support. 
Well, Quinn, thank you so much once again for being here with us and giving us an update and everything you've learned since you've been on the show and your experience of everything. I can't thank you enough. So once again, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And once again, I want to thank Quinn and I want to thank Larissa for being a guest on our show. And if you want to be a guest like them, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Read all the instructions and then either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. Also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have our very own safe social network. At the top of the page, you press support group. There you'll find our very own forum boards. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We also have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes. And if you really just want to support our show, join our support group. It helps us out a lot. And if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. And domesticshelters.org has articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing. They can connect you with local resources like shelters, and they can find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org to access this free resource today. And that is it for our show. So from myself, Quinn, and Larissa, Larissa's episode was today. We hope you have a good night.